Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This is a new series that I'm launching today called Runner, and as I get into it, it'll become very, uh, very clear why I've, I've, we're calling it that. Let me, have you, uh, this is a rhetorical question, I don't want you to answer it, but in your head, think about that time. Did you ever try to run away from home? Was there ever a time when you were going to run away from home? I, I had my time. Uh, mom ticked me off and I thought you know she doesn't love me and I'm gonna run away from home and I'll show her and so I had watched enough television to know what you were supposed to do when you ran away from home and so I went and found me one of those long sticks that you're supposed to have right <laughs> you gotta have a long stick and a handkerchief and I laid my handkerchief out on the bed and I, the problem for me came when I couldn't fit everything I wanted to take with me in the handkerchief that was a problem and then I couldn't figure out how to tie it to the stick. It took me forever to figure out how to tie it to the stick. And I, I, I don't remember exactly whether I actually tried to walk out with a handkerchief on a stick. Surely at that age I didn't know how to do that. But I do distinctly remember looking at mom and saying, and I'm leaving. And she said, okay. I was like, that's not what you're supposed to say. So I walked outside it hadn't really crossed my mind where I was supposed to go. I just knew I wanted to leave, right? Isn't that the way it is for most of us when we, when we run? We, it's not so much what we're running to. It's what we're leaving. It's what we're running from. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever decided that you were going to run away from home, but that probably was your experience too. When we decide to run from God, it usually coincides with an age. You know, you start getting a certain age. You come to the age where you have some responsibility. You can drive a car. It, it comes when, when you get a driver's license, or it comes when you start dating, and that's when you start thinking you might run from God. It, it comes when, when you're hanging out with your boys and things get suggested, hey, let's do this, or let's go do that, or you go to college and you get all this newfound freedom, and hey, now's a good time to run from God. Running away from God it's kind of like, God, I know what your will is, but I don't like that, and I'm, I'm just going to ignore you. I'm going to ignore your will. I'm going to ignore your voice in my life, and I'm just going to tone my conscience down by telling myself that you don't exist. And deep down, we know he exists, but we just tell ourselves he doesn't because it just makes, us, makes it easier for us to do whatever it is that we want to do. And, or, you know, maybe there is one, or but he, you know, he created the world, and then he just kind of left us alone, and he doesn't really care about us, and he doesn't really show up, and he doesn't care what I do. We tell ourselves that. And we just have a tendency to adjust our theology to allow us to live the way we want to live, and to allow us to get away with some things that we want to get away with. And if you're really honest, you still believe in God, but on some level... You just don't want to be accountable to him. You believe in him, you just don't want to be accountable to him. But whatever it is that you're running from, it's really, a, it's, a, it's in response to, God, I just don't want to do that right now. I don't want to do that. You might have run from God by running from a relationship or running into a relationship. You might have run from God by running from some financial thing. You may have run from God by running from a major in college or running away from college altogether. Uh, maybe you're like me and you have run from ministry. I have related this story a time or two. I'll share it again for those of you who haven't heard it. Um, I grew up 
in northern Kentucky in a great church. Um, L.D. Campbell was my pastor, and Doug Newhouse was my youth pastor. And I had a youth pastor when a lot of churches didn't have him. Like, he was one of the first ones. So I was very, very fortunate to have his influence in my life. And um, I, I matured in, in almost every area of life that you can mature. I, I matured, I was, I was a latecomer. Um, you know, physically, I've told you how small and just pathetic I was as a high schooler, just how little I was. And um, emotionally, I wasn't like a, you know, a, a train wreck or anything, but I just, I, I, and to, even to this day, there's certain things that I'm just late to the party. I, I'm, I'm almost 57, and there's things I think I should know that I don't know. And I'm like, man, you're old enough, you should know that. That just has always been the case for me. But the one area where I kind of always got it was spiritually. I was always ahead of my peers. I always, that, that kind of came easy for me. And I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old. And in as much as any 10-year-old can know what he's doing when he does that, I knew what I was doing. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you would say 10's pretty young. Yes, 10 is pretty young. But I knew what sin was. I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. I knew that my sin separated me from Jesus. I knew that I wanted to give my life to him. There was no wiggle room in any of that. And I trust and obey. I walked the aisle in tears and gave my life to Jesus. And I will never forget that day. But then I'm going through high school, <clears throat> and I was a leader in my youth group. You know, I'm, I'm the littlest guy in the room, but I, you know, the other kids, when it came to spiritual stuff, they looked to me, and I was, I led my youth group, and um, it was just, it came naturally for me. And so my youth pastor, and I spent a lot of time with my pastor too, um, they both would say things like, Brett, you've got gifts and skills for ministry. You should consider ministry. You should think about ministry. Well, I'm, I'm not going into ministry. Are you kidding me? You got to get up and talk in front of people, and I... Who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that. And so I, I just, I was very thankful for them, but that wasn't anything that I wanted to do in my life. I was going to go off and learn how to fix computers, make a lot of money. This was even before PCs, right? Like this is mainframes. This is old style modems. I had a Japanese professor. I didn't understand a word that dude said, right? I was going to get rich and drive a Porsche or a Ferrari. That's what I was going to do. That was my life goal, drive a Ferrari. And I went to Northern Kentucky University to learn how to fix computers, and after one year, they invited me not to come back. <laughs> yeah, not real proud of that. Not real proud of that. I wasn't ready. Just wasn't ready. But it was embarrassing, and it was humbling, and, you know, they sent me this letter, and, hey, you, you, you're not what we're looking for to represent our fine institution of higher learning, so don't come back. I had a job at a, at a store that I'd worked at for several years, and I had a full-time job there then. It was kind of like a target, and I, was, I had some good relationships there. And, and then all of a sudden, that just started to go south. Some of those relationships went south. Some things happened that weren't necessarily my fault, but I could have probably handled better. And, and um, it, that whole thing, just the bottom dropped out of it. And, and um, it, it just, all of a sudden I looked up and my life was just falling apart. And here I am, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was into drugs or anything crazy like that. It just, life wasn't going good for me. And I've told you about going to lunch with LD and LD looked at me and told me to change my attitude. It would change my day. And I'm like, that doesn't help me. Turns out that's some of the best advice I've ever been given in my life. Change your attitude, change your day. That'll, that'll change your life. But it was about that time that Doug came to me and said, Brett, you do realize that LD and I have been praying for you for the last several years, right? And I said, you have? And he said, yeah. He said, you want to know what we've been praying? 
I said, I guess. He said, we've been praying that God would make you so miserable until you finally realized that you're being called into ministry and you need to quit running from him. That's what they prayed for me. So don't tempt me, all right? I will pray for you. And for a while, I had just kind of turned my back on God. Now, I didn't go on a sin binge. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I, I did a bunch of things where you would say, man, that kid has lost his mind. It wasn't anything. You, in fact, you probably wouldn't have, from the outside looking, you probably wouldn't have seen a whole lot of difference. But spiritually, on the inside, my prayer life, my, the way, you know, just kind of the way I was approaching and dealing with God and trying to maneuver things, it just, I, I just would not entertain the idea of ministry. No. No. Maybe for you it's an idea. Maybe for you it's forgiving somebody. When I preach on forgiveness and you just reach up and turn me off and you go, nope, I'm not doing that. Maybe that's your running from God. Maybe it's God's calling you to go back to school. Maybe it's he's calling you to foster a child or to adopt a child. And you, you know it's a calling on you and you're just like, God, no, no, I'm not doing that. And that's your running from God. But whatever the issue is, God, keep your hands off that. I'm going to get over here and I'm going to do my own thing and I don't want to hear from you about that. And it isn't that we don't pray. You, you probably pray, but you aren't praying prayers of surrender you're praying prayers like, okay, God, I'm back, and I want to talk to you, but I want to talk to you about this area right here. This thing over here you've been talking to me about, I'm not talking about that, okay? I don't want to talk, I'm not thinking about that. I don't want to hear anything from you about that. This is an issue for me, so if we could just focus on this and leave that alone, I, I'm ready to have a conversation with you, but don't talk to me about that. And the truth for you today might be that you're a runner, and you've put God on the back burner or you're blocking him out altogether. In fact, your church attendance would be described as spotty at best. Because when you come here, he's talking to you and you just don't want to hear it. I had a, a, one of the best kids I ever had in youth group. My very first youth ministry. Um, this, this girl, she was at everything I did. She was a leader. Man, what a great kid. Every youth pastor would love to have a kid like this. I would do youth... Things. I would do lock-ins, I'd do retreats, she was front and center, she led, she brought people, she read, you know, she prayed when I needed somebody to pray, she helped me set stuff up, just, just a dream of a kid for a youth group, and then she got a little older, and she got her license, and I, you know, when they got their license and started dating, I generally didn't see them anymore, but, but uh, she still came, but then her senior year, was the fall of her senior year, and I did a lock-in. I always did a lock-in for him every year. My lock-ins were legendary. They were legendary. I mean, you know, kids all over the county came to my lock-in because they just, they, they thought that was awesome. And she brought a bunch of friends, and, you know, when I had lock-ins, if you were going to leave the lock-in, I had to have your parents' permission because some kids didn't want to stay all night, and they wouldn't want to leave, and I would say, i got to have your parents' permission. She got permission, and so she and all her friends they, that she brought with her, they left the lock-in. And they went somewhere, I don't know where they went, but I know that they did some things that they shouldn't have done, and they did some things that were incredibly out of character for this particular young lady. I was shocked when I found out. And that began a process where I didn't see her for the rest of her senior year for a long time. We were estranged. 
I just missed her, and I would send her notes, and I would, I would, you know, I would, I would drive by and see if she was out. I, you know, I tried to reach her, and she, she just didn't want to come. And and what she was doing is she was running from God, and and to come to church, to come to youth group, and to face me was her version of that. Now I'm not representing that I'm God. Okay, that please don't hear that. That's what I'm saying, but. But as far as she was concerned, I was the kind of the prophet, so to speak, that spoke into her life. And if she was going to go on the run from God, she couldn't face Brett down. She wasn't going to come to youth group. And so she just ran. Maybe that's what you're doing this morning. We all run from God for the same reasons. For some of us, we just don't want to be told what to do. I don't know if you're like me, but... I imagine you are. I don't think I'm unique in this. If I ever get the sense that, that it's the, the, you know, the, the, the metaphor is that you have your hand on the back of my head trying to force me to eat something I don't want to eat, I'm going to stiffen up, right? That's all of us. That's not just me. We all do that. You try to force me to do something, I'm going to bow up. I'm going to push back. Nobody likes that. That might be your equivalent of running from God. For others of you, you have a fear of missing out on something or someone. And the way you see it is, God, I know she's not a Christian, but anybody can become a Christian. Not anybody can look like her, okay, because she's like really pretty. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to know her, and I'm going to get her to like me, and I want to be with that pretty girl, and then I'll make a Christian out of her. Right? Then, then it'll all be okay. I'm going to get into that relationship, I'm going to get it all buttoned down, and once I've got it all buttoned down, then I'll come back to church, and I'll bring her with me, and it'll all be copacetic. And God goes, oh, man, you got me. Found the loophole. Hadn't even thought of that. Or it's a girl, and she looks at this guy, and she says, you know, I can, anybody can come to Christ, but not anybody can drive one of those. So I'll, I'll just, I'm going to get to know him, I'm going to button this relationship down, he'll come to Jesus, and, and then I'll have everything. I'll have the Christian man I want, and I'll have all this cool stuff that he can provide for me. And we run because we don't want to miss out on something. Another reason that a lot of us run is because of what Philip Yancey calls confusing life with God. Life doesn't go so well for us, and when life doesn't go so well for us, we blame God for it. Why would I want to do God's will? Why would I surrender to him? Why would I want him to be a part of my life? Look how life slash God has treated me. I don't want any part of that. And we confuse life with God and it causes us to run and to abandon God. So for the next several weeks, we are going to look at this series called Runner, which is about running from God. And as we do that, we're going to take a look at the consummate runner in scripture. This is the preeminent runner. And I just wonder if I asked you right now if you, if you would know who it is. We're going to look at a guy by the name of Jonah. Jonah. Now, when I just said that, something happened for some of you. Some of you, a portion of you in the room, when I said Jonah, reached up and turned off the dial and it went click. I'm not listening to a story on Jonah. I'm checked out. Because I don't believe that Jonah was a real person and I don't think that that's a story that has anything for my life. When I say Jonah, you automatically hear whale, fish, veggie tales, right? You have flashbacks to Sunday school and, and flannel graph, right? You can remember your first grade teacher acting all this out on a, on a flannel graph board. And you say, Brett, surely you are not going to ask me to believe that a man was eaten by a fish and lived there three days and three nights. Surely, Brett, you think I'm smarter than that. Surely you're smarter than that. 
That's the story we're going to look at in this series, but I want to help you with all that, and I want to give you an out, okay? Because this is a story about running, and as you are going to discover this morning, this is our story. This is our story. And our lives in some way reflect the story of Jonah, and I don't want you to miss that. So if you're going to struggle with this, if this is going to be a hard tale for you to swallow... If this story seems fishy to you, I understand, and I want to give you an out. Now, many of us in the room were raised to believe that this story actually happened. And the reason that we were raised that way is that this story does not take place out of context. This story has context for us. It takes place within the context of history. The city in question is a place called Nineveh which is an actual place. It was a major city in Assyria in 750 B.C. We know that Jonah actually lived because he's referenced in Scripture. It's important that we understand that 750 years after this story is related to us, Jesus references Jonah. And I, I you know, just, um, he makes a reference to Jonah uh, as it relates to his own life. So it appears that Jesus believed in Jonah. And I heard Andy Stanley say this years ago, and anytime I talk about Jonah, I always say what Andy says. Andy says, when, when, if there's a guy who raised, was dead and raised himself from the dead, I just believe whatever he believes. And if he believed in Jonah, I believe in Jonah. Okay, because if you can raise yourself from the dead, you know things I don't know. On top of that, if you believe in God at all, and if you believe that God had anything to do with creating me and you, I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. I mean, there's all kinds of beliefs about that, and, you know, where we came from, and how involved was God in creation, and what does creation look like, and how many days, and we're all over the map, and what we think about that, we get way too worked up, I think, sometimes over a lot of that stuff. But if you believe in any way that God had something to do with creating you, think about this. Us humans, not God, us humans have figured out a way to live underwater for months at a time. We can build these things called submarines. I have a cousin who was, a, was in charge of the nuclear ordnance on a nuclear submarine, and he told me that they would stay underwater for months at a time. I just can't even imagine doing that. So if God could create us, and we can create a nuclear submarine that is able to stay underwater for months at a time, perhaps we could cut God a little bit of slack and say maybe on your own you could pull off a deal where a man could be inside a fish for three days and, and live to tell about it. Just say it. But if you're sitting there and you're still thinking to yourself, Brett, that's sweet, but I'm not buying it. Okay. I want to give you an out, and here's the, here's the out this morning. It's okay if you listen to me this morning and you think this is a myth, maybe you think this never happened, but that doesn't mean that this is a message, that this is a, a story without a message. This story has a, a great message. It is not incapable of teaching you something about life and how to live it better. So this morning, if you just can't get on board with the idea that this actually happened, I'd like for you to think about the story of Jonah as maybe your favorite movie. You know, we all have movies that we watch. I've got a couple of like man movies that just make me want to be a better man, right? And you watch those, and you're like, man, that's a great story. And some of the stuff that happens in that movie are kind of like hard to believe, but that doesn't mean that I don't get inspired by the movie. 
And so I would kind of like for you, if, if you're a person who doesn't believe that the Jonah story is real, I'd like for you to look at it as just your favorite movie and, and say to yourself, you know, but that doesn't mean that I can't be inspired by it. It doesn't mean that I can't learn something. Maybe it's like when you read a novel, uh, a novel about, let's say, um, you know, a fictitious thing that takes place in a Civil War setting, and maybe it happens in Charleston, South Carolina, and, and the events that took place are real events, but the people that you're reading about are made-up names. But you learn about how a general came in, and, you know, battle was won here or there, and that all is, is real. Maybe you could look at the story of Jonah like that, where you can take some things away from it and say, you know what, that speaks to me. See, you can be inspired by all kinds of things. And if you're here today and you're like, Brett, I, I, I just, um, I can't buy that this is a real story. I would just ask you this morning to put this in the category of myth with a message. And right now, some of you who've gone to church your whole life are listening to me, and you think God is about to strike me dead, don't you? You're, you think you hear me saying that I don't believe the Jonah story is what you think you, you hear me saying. I'm not saying that. I believe the Jonah story. But here is what's got to happen among Christians if we are going to have any chance of having influence on people in our culture, in our society, moving forward. Please listen to me. If you do not make room in your world for people to not believe everything that you believe, you will never reach them for Christ. If you don't make a little room for somebody to walk into this room and say, I don't believe this, then we're never going to be able to have any influence in their life to, to let them maybe come along slowly and go, you know what, maybe there's something to that. There was a, uh, one lady that I was talking with one time, and, and she, didn't, she was an atheist. She didn't believe in God, and she wanted to talk to me as a pastor. And she came in, and we talked a little bit, and she declared right up front. She said, Brett, I just want you to know, I don't believe that Jesus walked on water. And I said, I I'm not asking you to believe that. I'm, let's just talk about Jesus. And so we talked about Jesus. I talked about Jesus from a histor historical perspective, from a real perspective. Like, these are things you can actually look up in history books. This is what we know. She came back a month later, and she said, I still don't believe that Jesus walked on water, but I think it might have been possible that Jesus walked on water. I said, listen, I'm not asking you to believe Jesus walked on water. Okay? It's not, not my goal. We talked a little bit more about Jesus. She came back a month later. She walked in. She said, I'm starting to think that Jesus walked on water. And by the time we were done, she walked in and she, she slapped the table. She said, Jesus walked on water. I said, listen to you. Listen to you. See, you got to make room for people. And I have people say to me once in a while, Brett, it sounds like when you're talking that you think that there are people in the room who don't believe in God. It sounds like you think that you've got atheists in the room. Let me just, can I just clue you in? We absolutely have atheists in this room this morning. Okay, that's not, that is not up for debate. And it's highly possible that some of them have been going to church for years. And so if we don't figure out a way to make room for them, to make them comfortable, to make them know, so if, if, if and, and it's probably not something that you walk in and announce and go, I just want everybody to know, I don't believe any of this, okay? You may be here this morning and you don't believe any of it. I just want you to know, would you just please know if I'm describing you right now, you're among friends. It's okay. It's okay if you don't believe this.
the, the, the roof is not going to cave in. Nothing bad is going to happen. We're, if, we, if we find out nobody's going to throw stones at you, it's okay if you don't believe. I'm just asking you, as I get ready to get into this, if you don't believe it, I do, but you may not, and I want to make room for you. And if you don't believe it, I'm just asking you to say, maybe this is myth with a message, and maybe it's something, because I would hate for you to miss the message of Jonah because it is a story that you have trouble believing. So here's the story of Jonah. If you have your Bible, turn to Jonah. Here's the easy way to find it. Go to Matthew, go eight books back. Okay? If you start in Genesis, you're never, I'll be done with the sermon before you ever find Jonah. Okay? So go to, go to Matthew and start turning toward the left and eight books back and you'll find it. And, and uh, Jonah was a prophet. He is sent into, prophets are, he's, prophets are people that are sent into tough environments to say very difficult things, usually things that people do not want to hear. Growing up, we called that parents, right? That's, what, that's the epitome of being a parent, is you're in tough environments and you're required to say things that nobody wants to hear. Jonah had a very difficult job. He was, called, he was not called to a, the nation of Israel. He wasn't called to talk to a bunch of people that believed like him. That would have been hard enough. Jonah gets called to this other place. He's, he's, he's got to go to a place called Assyria, more specifically to a city called Nineveh, and they're going to have a completely different system of belief. They're not going to see anything the way Jonah sees it. They're, they're not going to look at Jonah and say, oh, you know, prophet of God, we should listen to what this guy has to say. No. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh because their sin is reaching me, and I'm tired of it, quite frankly. And I'm going to judge this nation, and specifically I'm going to judge the city of, of Nineveh, to which Jonah would have wanted to say, well, why don't we just dispense with me going? Why don't you just wipe them out, okay? They're not going to listen to me. Why, why don't you just judge them already, get that part over with, and let's just wipe them out, and we'll just be one step ahead of the game. And the other thing that Jonah knew that you might not know, you know how when you watch the Winter Olympics, they always do the medal count, right? And you ever watch the Winter Olympics and you start watching the, the winter, like the, the sports that we don't, aren't very good at, like cross-country skiing and, and that thing where they, they, they do the cross-country skiing and then they stop and shoot a gun, you know? You ever notice that we are terrible at those things? But have you ever noticed that there are certain countries that excel at those? They always win the gold medals in those. And we, you just know when they're showing that on television, you're not going to be able to pronounce any of the names because the people that are at the top of the medal board are people that you couldn't say their name if your life depended on it. Joe Smith is not winning that, right? Well, the Ninevites, if you were going to give them the gold medal in something every year, like if they were going to win the gold medal in an event every single year, do you know what they'd win the gold medal in? They had perfected the art, if you want to call it that, of skinning someone alive and keeping them alive. They won the gold medal in that every year. That was their thing. They were really good at it. And Jonah probably knew that. And he's like, you know, I really don't want to go and tell them that, that a God that they don't even believe in is mad at him. I don't really... So you can understand how he would have this, <laughs> this reaction to what God is calling him to do. God said, yeah, those are the ones. I want you to go to them. Jonah, I need you to visit them. I need you to tell them that Yahweh 
a God that they don't even believe in, a God they don't even think exists. I want you to tell them that that God is angry and their violence and their sin, if it does not stop, I'm going to judge them. That's what I want you to tell them, Jonah. And Jonah's like, he, he, he is exactly what we're prone to do. He said, nope, not doing that. Find somebody else. I, I, God, I'm not going to do that. Not happening. Not doing that. And the Bible tells us that Jonah ran from God. Let's read it together. The easiest way, I told you, find Matthew and go back eight books. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So God's had it with these people. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Had a guy walk out today and say, you know where we get the word tartar sauce, don't you? I think he was pulling my leg, but... I told him I'd use it, because I'm not above using stuff like that. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee the Lord. Now, here's the thing about Jonah and his running. When he decided to run from God, I mean, he really ran, right? He didn't, he didn't just run a little bit. I want to show you a map of, of where Jonah ran to. You see Joppa down there? He's, Jonah's just a little north of there. He's going to go down to this coastal town called Joppa. He is supposed to go to Nineveh, which is 550 miles to the northeast, but he, he didn't just tell God no. He, this is what he did. He proceeded to get on a boat that would take him as far away as he could get. Like when you see Tarshish out there, that's as far as the trade route, that's as far as the ships would sail. That, as far as Jonah is concerned, that is the known world for him. He thinks when he goes to Tarshish, that's as far as he can run. So in Jonah's mind, I'm going to go as far away from God as I can get. Jonah's basically saying to God, I'm not doing that. Now that's part of your story, isn't it? That's part of my story. We didn't just say no. We said, no, I'm not going to go in that direction, and I'm going to go in this direction. And God says, I don't want you to be involved in that. And you said, that's exactly right. That's exactly why I'm going to do it, because I know you don't want me to be involved in this right now, and I'm running from you. Each of us has our own story about how a part of our life or all of our life was this thing where we were running from God, and we just said, God, no, I'm not doing that. And we ran. As a pastor, I speak often to runners. And as a pastor, I have often run myself. I know what it is to be a runner. That's something that we all have in common. Every one of us in this room has run from God at some point in our life. And probably there's a portion of you right now that are on the run and you know it. This map gives us a clue of just how badly Jonah was running, wanted to run and get away from God. Look at how long that arrow is. First thing I want you to see on your outline there, people who run from God run to the strangest places. Jonah decides he's going to run from God. He gets on a boat. That's like saying, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go out to Yosemite National Park and I'm going to free climb 
half dome and El Capitan. Now, if you don't know what free climbing is, it means I'm going to climb up the face of this rock with no ropes and no, no tools, right? Just going to climb up. They actually do that. I'm going to run from God. And so when we run from God, the, the illustration here is that we run to the dangerous things. We run to the stupidest things. It's like saying, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go jump out of an airplane. Now, I've done that. The things that go through your mind right before you jump out of a perfectly good airplane would amaze you. We run from God and we go to the most dangerous things we could do. And Jonas says to the God who made the earth and the sea. Now, think about this. God made the earth and the sea. He says, I'm going to get on a boat. And not just any boat. I'm going to get on a boat that's going to be in water longer than any boat I could possibly get on. And I'm going to go to a place I've never been before because we run to the strangest places when we run from God. As a pastor, I've seen people rebel against God and they decided that they would get married. That's a safe thing to do, isn't it? As a pastor, I've seen people run from God and watch them get divorced. As a pastor, I've seen people run from God and rack up huge debt. I've seen them run from God and get involved in lifestyles that were unsafe and reckless. People can run from, the strength, from God into the strangest things. And here's the reason why. Because when we run from God, we run from the source of truth and wisdom. That's what we're doing. And it's only a matter of time when you disconnect yourself from wisdom and truth that bad things are going to start happening in your world. When we run from God, we run from wisdom and truth. When we run from places where we might find wisdom and truth, that's when things start going south for us. You're a teenager and you start running from your parents because you don't want to hear what they have to say. You're a young adult, so you unplug from the, the voices of wisdom around you and you get involved in some things that you know are not good. You're an adult, and you unplug from church, or you unplug from youth, uh, from a small group, and you say, you know what, I'm not just, I don't want to hear it, I'm, I want to do my own thing. That's what we do, we just, we, we, we unplug, and we run away. And that's exactly what Jonah did. Now, if what I'm, if while I'm saying that, you're saying, how did he know? How did he know I'm on the run? How did I know? I mean, you say that to me often, like, it's like you're riding in the car with me to church. How do you, it's like you just listen to our conversation. It's, listen, I'm not that smart. It's because this stuff, is, this stuff all applies to all of us. It's not like, you know, let me tell you something about runners. When we're running from God and we think we're smart and we think we, you know, we're in this unique situation, and we, we would say, I've had people look at me and say, Brett, I understand you think you've been through something similar to this because when I do counseling, it's always, my counseling is always based on my stupidity and my mistakes right like they'll tell me their story and I'll say listen I I did that too let me tell you when I did that what what I learned and they'll say Brett you know that like they pat me on the head like you know I know you think that your story is like my story but my story's unique my story's different than everybody else's so you might be running this morning and you're here you're sitting listening to me talk and you're thinking look he's trying to help me but he doesn't understand my story's different no it's not Maybe a name's different. Maybe a city's different. Maybe the, the, the thing that you're involved in is a little different. But that's about it. You're not unique. Our stories are very, very similar. The pattern is the same for runners. It's not unique. 
And then the next three words that we see are very, very powerful, and they show up over and over again in this story. Verse 4, then the Lord. Let me tell you something about runners. When you run from God, you are eventually going to have lots of then the Lord kind of moments. Lots of them. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. These are men that have been on the water their whole life, and they're petrified. They know this is different. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now these are men that are going to get paid for this cargo when they get to port. That's their livelihood. They are so afraid, they're taking the cargo that is worth something, and they're throwing it overboard, which is like throwing money over the side of the ship, okay? That's how afraid they are. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep, fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Jonah, do you not understand what's going on? You know that we got people up there throwing cargo over the boat, over the side of the boat. Do you not understand that we could actually sink here? We could lose our life and you're sleeping? How, how can you be asleep? He says, get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Second thing that runners, uh, we notice about runners is that runners are often the last to make the connection. Runners are often the last to make the connection between their running from God and the chaos in their life. You can see somebody, there's chaos everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, as a counselor, they'll come in and I'll see the chaos. And I'll start pointing out some things. I'll start connecting those two dots. And I'll say, do you see the connection between those? No. Okay, wait a minute. You can't see how if you would return to God over here that this is going to get better. You can't see that you're running from God and all this is going on because you're on a dead sprint as far away from God as you can get. No. Runners are the last to see the connection. Jonah goes to the bottom of the boat. He goes to sleep. He just is not making the connection. He doesn't say to himself, man, there's a fierce storm outside. I wonder if that has anything to do with me. There are people in your life that will see this before you see it in your life. And they'll try to be a prophet and they'll try to speak into it and they'll say, hey, can I help you sort this out? I see two dots and I'd like to connect those two dots for you. And the runner says, oh no, I don't think those two things are related. I don't think, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Jonah is down below. The captain comes to him and he basically offers him to come up and participate. He says, hey, we're, we're, we're having a prayer meeting upstairs. And it's an all skate. We don't care who you pray to. We don't care if you raise your hands. We don't, you know, we don't care what you do. Just get up on the deck because we're all praying. We're so desperate that we're praying. Well, the prayer meeting doesn't work, so then they decide they're going to cast lots. Casting lots is kind of like rolling dice. They're trying to decide who, who is responsible because that's how they thought about this. Somebody's responsible for this. Keep in mind, these are sailors. They've seen storms before, but this, they know something's different about this. They asked Jonah who he was. Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And he's probably thinking, where I should have stayed. Verse 10, they terrified, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah said, the only thing you can do is throw me off the boat. And they said, we're not, look, we're not throwing you off the boat. 
and the storm just kept getting worse. And after praying and doing everything they know to do, they decided they need to sacrifice the one for the sake of the many. Verse 15, they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and, and raging sea grew calm. Now, can you just, I want you to get this picture in your head, because it's kind of comical, okay? They're going to take Jonah, storms raging, boats rocking back and forth. They heave Jonah overboard. And according to the scriptures, the waves start to die down and the storm starts to die. At which point, somebody on the boat's probably thinking, man, he's down there in the water. I mean, you think maybe we should bring him back on? I mean, everything's kind of calmed down. And somebody else is like, no, 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 no. And the boat's kind of drifting away from Jonah. And he's kind of bobbing in the water and he's waving. And and he's getting smaller and they're waving, right? I mean, that would be an awkward scene because he probably didn't just sink to the bottom. He probably kind of bobbed there for a while. Verse 17, now the Lord. I want you to see something here. When you run, God does not abandon you. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Uh Uh-huh, I bet he did. I bet he did. Jonah discovers in this moment what every runner discovers. Number three, you can run from God, but you can't hide. You can't hide. God, the word that is used there in the Bible is God prepared. God prepared a fish. We have a tendency to look at that as as the fish is a negative thing, but that's something God provided. He he prepared, he provided the fish. I I got more that I could say, but I I need to wrap up. But I I, want to say this to close this morning. I've conveyed this story before, and I won't go into the whole thing, but as a parent, there were times when I had to discipline my children. And I love my kids. And it always made me angry when they did something that I had to discipline. I didn't get mad at them for what they did because I understood they were kids. We all do stuff like that. We all do stupid stuff. What made me mad was if I'm going to be a good parent and execute the love for my kids that I should... I've got to discipline them. I can't let them grow up and think that what they did is okay. That's not okay. And it's my job to teach them that that's not okay. That's not how we behave. And and so I would discipline them. Now, they would probably think, as I was spanking their rear end, and yes, I spanked them. They probably thought, Daddy doesn't love me. But that's exactly what I was doing. I was loving them. Listen, When you run from God and God has to discipline you, God doesn't come after you to get you back. God comes after you to win you back. And if you're running this morning and you sense that God may be doing some things to try to bring you back, the best thing you can do is drop whatever implements of running you have and turn in the direction of God and say, I am so sorry. And I am yours. Because what God wants more than anything is your heart. And he does not delight in disciplining you, but he delights in you. And he will discipline you to win you back, not to get you back. Don't ever confuse those two things. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we have all been runners And some of us in the room are runners right now. I don't know who. That is your business with them. 
And I pray, Father, if they're running, that you have reached their heart this morning. And I pray that they hear you crying out their name. And I pray that they would just stop right where they are. They would quit their running and they would turn in your direction. And they would repent and come home to you. Help them to see, God, that you're not trying to do damage to them and you're not trying to hurt them and you're not trying to get them. You're trying to win them. Father, we love you. We love you even though sometimes our actions don't show it. Sometimes our, the, the things we do, they say anything other than that we love God. And Father, we, are, we know this. You are crazy wild about us. And you will spare no expense. And you prove that in Jesus. And we are so thankful. I pray this morning, Father, for the runners in the room, that they would turn their eyes upon Jesus and see grace and mercy and love and run to him. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.